This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to the third and final podcast in our series on redundancy. I am Jessie Basra, an associate in the employment team at Charles Russell Speechley's, and today I'm with Trevor Bettany, head of the employment team, and Josie McLeod, an associate in the team. In the first two podcasts, we looked at the theory of redundancy and the practical aspects of carrying out a redundancy exercise. In our final podcast, we'll be looking at employee rights on redundancy, including payments, alternative employment, and trial periods. First of all, Trevor, once the selection has been made, consultation completed, and the selected employees notified, what are they entitled to by way of payments? Well, there are some obvious payments which will have to be made by the employer and a few others which are perhaps less obvious, but the employer ought to have a think about. So as far as the obvious ones are concerned, the first one is notice. Every employee being made redundant will clearly be entitled to receive the requisite period of notice specified by the contract. And uh, that notice period will be subject to the statutory minimum, which is one week's notice for each complete year of service, subject to a maximum of 12 weeks notice after 12 years service. Most contracts nowadays will have a payment in lieu of notice clause, which allows the employer to accelerate the termination of employment. But the employer to have a think about whether or not it's sensible to exercise that right. It will obviously have an impact on cash flow because exercising it means that the money has got to be paid uh, rather sooner, which might be um, an issue or have significant or more significant consequences if there are a large number of dismissals being made. the duration of restrictive covenants is another factor worth taking into account because the earlier the employment terminates, the sooner the protection of the post-termination restrictions will be lost. The collective redundancy consultation trigger is another important factor to take into account because bringing um, forward a termination could well take the employer across the threshold of 20 or more redundancies within a 90-day period. And according to a recent European Court of Justice decision, that's a threshold that has to be calculated even retrospectively, however that's meant to work. And uh, finally, the date upon which the employment terminates may mean that an employee uh, will acquire or will not acquire an additional year's service for the purposes of enhanced redundancy entitlements or other contractual remuneration schemes. So that's the notice payment. The second payment will be holiday. Again, an employee is obviously entitled to be paid for any accrued but untaken holiday as at the termination date. And the employer may have an express contractual right in the contract that says, the employee must take leave during a period of notice, which by exercising that right will reduce the overall costs of determination. And the third and perhaps most obvious payment will be the statutory redundancy payment. So any employee with two or more years service as at the termination date will be entitled to a statutory redundancy payment. And that's calculated on the statutory formula based on age, length of service and gross pay. And Currently, a week's pay is capped at £538 per week. But where are we Um, approaching the new tax year? And bear in mind that on the 6th of April, the statutory week's pay will increase. So redundancies which are being 
implemented now may well take effect on or after the 6th of April so that the redundancy calculation will have to take into account the, the new figure. And one other point worth bearing in mind is that where an employer terminates on short notice or exercises the right to make a payment in lieu of notice, the employer should tack on the statutory minimum notice entitlement that may well take the employee past another complete year's service, so it will um, trigger a right to an additional statutory week's pay. So they're the, the obvious ones. The, the less obvious ones will include perhaps an enhanced redundancy payment. There may be an express enhanced redundancy scheme or security of employment schemes they used to be called, or an implied right to an enhanced contractual redundancy payment. Nowadays, it's far more common for those enhanced payments to be discretionary, and typically they will be conditional on the employee entering into a statutory settlement agreement. But in managing any enhanced redundancy arrangement, the employer ought to make it very clear that there is no um, right or expectation or custom and practice being created upon which other employees might seek to rely in the future. So again, thinking about the enhanced redundancy payments, the employer ought to be careful to avoid using any directly or indirectly discriminatory criteria in the uh, formula for those enhanced contractual payments because uh, criteria which are based on or reflect age, race, gender, disability or other protected characteristics may well be vulnerable to challenge. Next one worth giving some thought to is deferred remuneration. In most deferred compensation or deferred remuneration schemes, redundancy dismissal will constitute good lever grounds. And then last one, but increasingly less common, is that some pension arrangements will state that a redundancy termination beyond a certain age will trigger an early retirement pension, which again could have some consequences in terms of cash flow and pension funding. Thanks for that, Trevor. Uh, so Josie, when an employee has been served notice of redundancy, does the employer have to do anything else? So part of carrying out a fair redundancy process is that the employer must search for alternative employment for the employee and consider whether instead of dismissing them, it could actually offer them an alternative role within the company or any associated employers. And a dismissal for redundancy could be found to be unfair if the employer fails to make this reasonable search for alternative employment. Even if the employer has taken all the right steps to that point, the dismissal could still be found to be unfair. The employer should be searching for this alternative employment right up to the employee's termination date, even if the redundancy decision has already been made and the employee is in their notice period. An employer doesn't have to create alternative roles for a redundant employee, but they do have this duty to search for any, and that's within the company or any associated employer. If there are no alternative roles, then the employer should be able to show that it has searched for these, but there are none available. So if an employee accepts an offer of alternative employment, which is subject to a trial period where necessary, then the employee is treated as not having been dismissed at the end of their previous contract for the purposes of the statutory redundancy pay scheme. The employee will therefore have no entitlement to a redundancy payment and the two employments will be deemed to be continuous. But if an employee rejects an offer of alternative employment, 
the consequences of them doing so will depend on whether the alternative employment was suitable and whether their rejection of it was reasonable. If suitable alternative employment is offered and the employee unreasonably rejects the offer, then the employee will lose their right to a statutory redundancy payment. So we need to look at what is meant by suitable and what is meant by an unreasonable rejection. When deciding whether a role was suitable alternative employment, a tribunal will look at objective factors as to whether it was suitable for that employee. For example, by looking at the employee's skills, aptitudes, um, experience, and whether they meet the requirements of the new job and offer. And the tri tribunal will also look at the terms of the alternative job, such as its status, location, the content of the job, the pay, the hours, and the responsibility. And it will look at how these compare to the terms of the employee's previous employment. Then we need to go on to consider whether it was reasonable for the employee to refuse the offer of the suitable alternative employment. And this will depend on subjective reasons that the particular employee has for rejecting it, i.e. we don't look at whether a hypothetical reasonable employee would have accepted it. We look at this particular employee in question. And a tribunal will look at factors relating to the employee's personal circumstances, such as their health, personal or family commitments, um, and in practice, the more suitable the offer, the easier it will be for the employer to show that the refusal of the role was unreasonable. The tribunal might also take into account um, the way that the role was offered to the employee. For example, if they didn't have sufficient time to consider the offer, or if the employee reasonably doubts the employer's motives in making the offer. Other factors that could be considered include the duration of the employment, of the alternative employment, any loss of status, requirement to relocate, and any increased time and cost of travel to a new workplace. Overall, the employer has the burden of showing both that the alternative employment offered was suitable and that the employee's refusal was unreasonable in order to justify not making a statutory redundancy payment. Finally, the terms of the alternative role offered differ in any respect to the existing terms of the employee's previous role, then the offer is subject to a trial period. Thanks for that, Josie. So in respect of the trial period, can you tell us a bit more about what that would involve? Yes, so as I mentioned, an employee has a right to a statutory trial period of four weeks where the new alternative role offered to them is different to the one that the employee previously carried out or where it's the same job, but the terms and conditions are different. The purpose of the trial period is to give both the employer and the employee the opportunity to try out the new alternative employment. The trial period starts when the employment under the old contract ends and it lasts for four weeks. It is a statutory period and so it will apply automatically, but it is generally best for the employer to inform the employee about the details of the trial period. And if an employer refuses to agree to honour the trial period, then this could make a redundancy dismissal unfair. The four-week trial period can be extended in some limited circumstances, which is generally only for the purposes of retraining the employee in that new alternative employment. And there can also be more, more than one statutory trial period. Any number of trials in different jobs can take place 
provided that the new contract differs from the previous one and it is made before the previous one ends and starts immediately or within four weeks following. If the trial periods all prove unsuccessful and the employment is finally terminated, then the employee is still deemed to have been dismissed for redundancy when their original contract ended. So if the trial period has been successful and the employee remains with the employer, the ending of the original contract in the previous role is not deemed to have been a dismissal for statutory redundancy pay purposes and the employee's employment continues. However, if the trial period is unsuccessful, it's important to look at who terminated the employment. If the employer terminates or gives notice to terminate the employee's employment during the trial period for a reason connected with any difference between the old and the new contract, for example, because they consider the employee to be unsuited to the new role, then the employee is regarded as dismissed for statutory redundancy pay purposes. And this is as at the date when the original contract in their previous role ended. However, the time limit for claiming any redundancy payment runs from the date of the termination of the trial period. If the employee terminates or gives notice to terminate their employment during the trial period, then the employee is treated as having refused the offer of a new job with the result that if the new job was an offer of suitable alternative employment and the employee's refusal of it was unreasonable, as I've spoken about before, then the employee will lose their entitlement to a statutory redundancy payment. However, if the role was not deemed to be suitable or the employee's refusal was reasonable, then they will be treated as dismissed for statutory redundancy pay purposes at the original contract's termination date. Thanks for that, Josie. Uh, so Trevor, are there any categories of employee with extra protections? Yes. The usual red flags go around any person who is away on maternity leave, adoption leave or shared parental leave. So essentially they will have an automatic or priority rights to be offered any suitable take alternative vacancies that are around. Um, and it's, it's worth bearing in mind as well, as well that protection is meant to be extended soon to cover employees as soon as they notify their employer of the fact of pregnancy and that protection is due to continue for six months until after the end of the maternity leave or the adoption leave although we don't yet know when these changes are going to be introduced and um, similar protection is going to be offered to those returning from shared parental leave. Thanks Trevor, so what are the rights do redundant employees have when serving notice? Well the fact that the employer has served notice doesn't change the rights of the employee. Um, he or she is still an employee, still has the same statutory protections and the same contractual rights as specified by the contract. Um, it may be that the contract changes it uh, in certain respects, but um, there are a few traps to be wary of. So when an employer is coming to exercise a discretion, um, the employee shouldn't be deprived of the benefit of the proper exercise of that discretion just because he or she is working out a period of notice. Another statutory right that the employee who has two years service will have is the statutory right to take reasonable time off during working hours for the purpose of looking for a new job or to arrange training for future employment. So the employer is going to have to deal with the question of what is a reasonable period for the employee to take off and um, should the employee be paid for all or all part of that period obviously he, should, he or she should be paid if it is a reasonable period and I think this right 
uh, less relevance nowadays because so many employers will put their redundant staff on um, on guard and leave so they've got all the time they need to look for other jobs or may terminate early by exercising the right to pay in lieu of notice but um, the, the traditional view of fairness in a redundancy situation was that the employee should be allowed to work out notice or at least remain on the books during the redundancy notice period and the reason for that was that it would often be easier for an individual to find a new job while still employed as an advantage in having a smaller or shorter gap on the CV between one employment ending and the new job starting. Um, working out a period of notice is also a time for adjustment to get to grips with it, but I say the modern approach is much more to use the payment in lieu of notice or garden leave. But I think it's important that an employer should consider the, the merits and discuss with the employee whether or not he is going to um, ask the employee to work out that period of notice. But an employee who wants to leave and retain his or her redundancy payment and is not being allowed to do so by the employer can serve a statutory counter notice on the employer, um, the effect of which will allow him to leave or he or she to leave, retain their redundancy payments and subject to an argument with the employer, which would normally lead to some sort of a, agreement and accommodation. Thanks, Trevor. Um, and finally, then, are there any other issues an employer needs to think about? Well, I think uh, as a rule of thumb, it's always worth the employer throughout the process reminding himself or herself that an employee is only provisionally redundant pending the completion of the consultation process. So they should try to reinforce that impression throughout the process and avoid any steps which suggest that a decision to dismiss has already been made. But otherwise, it's really a question of dealing with the administrative or practical issues. So IT, um, making sure IT access has been disabled, although, again, nowadays, it's more often that an employee will be asked to take leave during a consultation process and before notice has been served and at that point the IT access will be suspended. Uh, handing over and returning equipment um, that may, may be a requirement for the employer to have that equipment in a, in a form in which he can just check and inspect it. Um, problems nowadays of employees wanting personal photos and personal data or emails which may be held on the computer they want it back so perhaps it's necessary to arrange or at least offer some sort of supervised access to manage that process occasionally an employer might need to incentivize a departing employee with a loyalty bonus to try and keep that person to remain in employment or to do a task well until the end of the notice period and um, the loyalty bonus might be structured so that it's contingent on the individual staying there until the expiration date or unless otherwise uh, agreed. Other points, references, make sure that there is a, a clearly identified point of contact for receiving reference requests and the employer's got to bear in mind the duty of care which it owes to both the departing employee and to the new employer to exercise reasonable skill and care in the um, preparation of a reference. Thanks to both Trevor and Josie for giving such helpful insights. This is our final podcast on redundancy, but if you need any more information, please do contact either myself, Trevor or Josie.
Thanks for listening. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. 